Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast. With service members from across the military, sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome to the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Hope you guys have checked out the new website. I uh, hope you guys really like it. And the new logo, man. We've been getting a lot of good comments and positive feedback on it. So we hope you guys are really enjoying the new look of the Hazard Ground Podcast. Same great sound, same great stories. Just a little bit of a facelift for us. Trying to modernize things a little bit and uh, keep up with the Joneses, as they say. Speaking of that website, make sure you go to it and click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the page. Our partnership with Amazon still rocking and rolling. So you click on the button on the Hazard Ground website and it'll take you right to Amazon. Do your normal shopping. We'll get a percentage of whatever you spend. We'll donate it right back to the charities that you've heard right here on the Hazard Ground podcast. The usual. Follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell people about the podcast, guys. The audience is continuing to grow and we can't do it without your help. So share a podcast with a friend. Also, don't forget to share with us some future stories you'd like to see. If you know somebody who's got a great story, go to our website, click on the Contact Us tab, fill out all the information, we'll get right back to you, and we'll start researching it and get the people you want to hear on the Hazard Ground podcast. Finally, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We love hearing those so much, and plus they help grow the podcast, as I mentioned before. So lots for you guys to do, but right now get to sit back and take a listen to this week's episode. Joining us this week is someone I'm fortunate enough to consider a friend and a very prominent name in the veterans community. He is a retired Army captain with three deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. And if you're plugged into the veteran community, you may have heard his name before. He is Garrett Cathcart joining us on the Hazard Ground Podcast. Garrett, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Appreciate it. All right. So we are actually recording this live here in the home studio, and uh, we're going to give this the best shot we can, technology aside. But uh, it's great to have you on because uh, I've gotten a chance to know you over the last couple of years in reference to the veteran community, and that's how we linked up. And you were working for RWB at the time, Red, White, and Blue, Mike mm-hmm. Irwin, former Hazard Ground guest, uh, the founder of that that wonderful program, and, and he's been on the podcast before. But you've bounced around from different veteran organizations, and now you're with a company called Mission Roll Call, an organization, Mission Roll Call, um, that works at the highest levels of helping veterans. We're going to get to that, but kind of. Let's go back to the beginning and give me your story about how you got in the military. Sure. Um, when I was a little kid, I read, I was a nerd, read nonstop uh, and always kind of was drawn towards history, specifically military history uh, and all these famous journals, which is some school called West Point. And so uh, in the fourth grade, I decided I would go to some place called West Point too. I had no idea what it was or that in fact it uh, took a little work to get into. So uh, I decided then, and also at the time, my stepdad, who was a high school track coach, um, had an athlete who was interested in West Point. So he went to his candidate's luncheon, and I uh, asked my fourth grade teacher to tag along, and she said yes. And I, I went as a fourth grader, and they patted me on the head when I was cute. And then uh, when I went back as a junior in high school, they remembered me, which I think got me some some points for the admissions process. All right, so you make the decision to go to West Point early on. When you told your parents about it, what did they say? Uh, they said, you know, good support of Midwestern parents. I, was, I lived in, grew up in Indiana. We support you. Um, you know, frankly, no, no military history or connections in my family. So I was kind of one of the first. Um, and so like, Hey, if you want to do this, uh, we'll, we'll help you. And they said, what's your backup plan? Where do you want to go to school if you don't get in? Uh, and I guess kind of the way I think is I don't want failure. not an option. I, 
I'm not going to apply anywhere else. I'm going to go to West Point or go enlist in the Army, uh, which I think I don't think they appreciated that answer too much. Well, this is during a peacetime environment, right? right. This, I graduated high school in 2000, right? So this is peacetime, peacetime Army. Okay, so um, there, the, the concerns about going into the military um, were muted at that point in time, I guess, right? And I think it's as foreign people will understand, right? I mean, that speaks to, uh, frankly, years later, I'm still working on is the, this kind of civilian military divide. It's a culture that most folks don't understand, right? If you, unless you've had someone serving it, uh, or someone in your family, immediate family, or even extended, you don't really know a lot about it. And besides what you see on, on popular culture, movies, and, and TV shows, uh, in fact, that's, le- that's less than 1% of the American population. So uh, I get it, right? All right, so when that all happens, um, you end up getting into West Point. Do you know what you're getting into at that point in time? Not really. And frankly, during you know that, that Beast Barracks first initial kind of summer when you're, you go to R-Day and you, I, you, know, you get yelled at for the first time by someone in a uniform uh, and you have to stand in formation and learn knowledge. And, you know, it's, it's probably a watered-down version of the actual Army basic training we enlist, but... Um, you know, you think to yourself, oh, this isn't for me. This is actually kind of hard. That's not what I thought it was. But it's almost that fear of public humiliation. Like, I can't quit. I'm going to do this my whole <laughs> life, right? And people are going to know if I come home. And we had people quitting, you know, I, uh, someone quit my squad. Um, but uh, no idea, right? I mean, you kind of you kind of jump over the ledge and, and, and uh, see what happens. Um, but it, it uh, stuck it out. Plebe year was, was, was not easy. And obviously, you know, my sophomore year, uh, was was when nine eleven happened, which kind of changed the whole the whole dynamic. Do you remember where you were? First day ever of any sort of military guard duty was not uh, for me was nine eleven two thousand one. Um, I was guarding a desk. You know, you you it's called a cadet in charge of quarters, and you sign people in and out of uh, of the barracks, miss classes. Uh, but my tack officer, which is an actual army captain, in charge of the company and ministers cadets. Uh, came running in the hallway, said, hey, bring out the TV. And you almost beat things on a cart. And, uh, we, Back when the yeah, AV nerds yeah. were around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we had AV so, nerds. So we, we roll it out on the, on, the, on the thing and turn it on. And so we watched together live as the second plane hit. Uh, and we knew something was wrong. Uh, you know, then West Point gets locked down. Also, there's NPs everywhere. Units are activated from somewhere. Uh, no one's allowed on or off post to include, you know, chow hall workers reading MREs. Uh, and frankly, I, uh, my roommate and I were like, dude, uh, we're going to miss these wars. We're going to, we need to quit and go enlist. So we went to all attack officer and said, Hey, we're, we're quitting West Point to go to the war. We're going to miss it. Uh, and this is like a first real piece of mentorship. He's like, you're an idiot, Cathcart. I'm like, uh, let's well, I knew that going yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> I still am. But, but he said, um, like these wars are going to last a while. This war. Cause you know, that was, that was, when we thought about talking about Afghanistan. Um, and so he said, go back and finish, finish school and then uh and go lead uh at a higher level so i did um so luckily he talked talked us out of that but you know early that day um you know everyone's kind of in shock and numb and all my a lot of my friends in indiana went to iu and they they had they released all classes in indiana and one of the planes had flown over us at west point they thought we might be a target right because the future military officers are all going to school there uh, but I'll never forget, I did an American politics test and the, uh, West Point did not cancel classes. Like you were all were going to have to lead in stressful times and think this is one of those times go to class. And so I took a, a an exam uh, on nine 11, uh, a couple hours after, uh, a plane flew over us and into a twin towers. Wow. Um, that's funny. Uh, and the only reason I, I choose the word funny is just because, you know, little did we know that leading in stressful times would, would 
be something dynamically different than just taking a test. So I, I don't know how much it actually prepared you for that moment. But um, so you're going through the next couple of years at West Point watching war unfold. Mm. Are you ever starting to get nervous? Are you ever starting to think like um, they're, they're sending bodies home already and this is what my future is? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, when you're in it, it, the analogy is, I tell folks, hey, if you're like a pediatric brain surgeon, you don't want like some kid to get hurt and be dying to work, but you want to go and do it. You've been training for years for it, right? And so um, I was clamoring to go, right? I mean, and 9-11 is still fresh and, and your, your friends who just graduated are going over are going to Ranger School and graduated and going overseas. And so, yeah, I mean, nervous, but more like... I, I got to go there. Like I staying here is almost pointless. These classes are dumb. How is this going to help me downrange? Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't want to be a, a ranger. It's a whole set of stories. So I spent six months in ranger school, ended up breaking my legs in Delanica, Georgia. So no tab. Um, but uh, I ended up switching um, units with a guy who had just had a kid. He's like, uh, has had a kid. I'm like, oh, sweet. You're, you're supposed to point. That's sweet. Give me your slot, bud. I'm going now. And so, you know, fourth entry division, I was in the cavalry, uh, and so deployed, um, you know, showed up to my unit with a big walking cast on for my, my ranger ex- escapades, and uh, my squadron commander, um, or battalion commander, uh, like, shook my hand, and it's like, what happened to you, lieutenant? And, like, he gave me a disgusted look. I'm like, sir, I went to ranger school, and he's like, his whole demeanor changed, like, oh, all right, okay. <laughs> and then, but then he just Everything's leans, fine. And then he leans over, looks at my left shoulder, and sees no tab, he's like, like, oh. Oh, you again. Assistant S4. Get back. I'm like, what the ah. heck, sir? Like, I mean, I, that's a whole other conversation. But um, I did actually get a pin a tab on my on my, on my my uh, twin brother. I was at Day Zero Recycle. And he went straight through. So it's uh, it the same moment of. No, he went to West Point, too. No, he okay. we, we had we had wildly different childhoods uh, growing up. Um, we we're twins. I was the nerd class president. want to go to West Point. He's like, I don't give a shit. I'll get C's, whatever. Shock the world. Shocked the family. He he applied and got a school called Norwich. Uh, Norwich Military Academy. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it was, like, yeah. it was like, dude, your brother's going to Norwich? I'm like, I don't know, man. And so uh, we actually, we were close growing up. but got a lot closer actually when we left. Uh, and it was one of the coolest moments. I, when I visited him at Norwich, like one of my one weekends off the semester, he's like, this is my brother. He goes to Westwood. Like the first time he was like almost proud of me. It was, it was kind of cool. So, fat, you know, he goes to infantry officer basic course. I go to the armor officer basic course. Um, at Knox, and I get a ranger slide. We're at school at the same same time, and, and I never forget. I got to to pin a tab on my twin brothers at Day Zero Recycle, and so at the same time, one of my proudest moments in my life because he went straight through. Also, one of the most humiliating, right? Uh, because I'm a Day Zero Recycle. All my West Point classmates are graduating. I'm wearing a Roy Gar vest and a Camelback and parking cars. All my West Point friends are like, "Oh, congratulations!" The parents are like, "You made it! Congrats!" So I'm like. I actually starting over from the beginning, big failure. Uh, and then you, you, as a recycler, you work at the concession stand. So I'm selling hot dogs and sodas and chips to my friend's parents. Uh, my own father comes up and he's like, uh, can I get a, a soda? I'm like, <laughs> sure, dad. <laughs> he comes up with a, my son's a ranger coffee mug. I'm like, gee, many Christmas, man. Like they, they don't know, but like, and then I'm going back to day zero. Cause I feel pushups. Right. Um, and, uh, I got a pin of time on my brother. And I mean, there's a whole, Think about Ranger. I, I recycled during Best Ranger, so I had two months in the Gulag, uh, and it was that's a whole other set of stories. But I, a guy, a buddy of mine, recycled. I convinced him to stay with me, uh, and we actually lived together in Texas before we deployed. But uh, two months in the Gulag was a special time. See, that good buddy of mine ended up being killed in action in Iraq. So, like that was our, our time to kind of hang out. We ended up actually 
building the deck behind fourth RTB together is like our, our recycled project. I'm sure two staff has got archons for it. We got like to go outside and see sunlight and do meaningful work was our reward. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, got to my unit and then, uh, uh, immediately kind of deployed due to Baghdad, Iraq during the surge in 06 as a cavalry, uh, well, initially as an assistant S4 uh, to Kuwait to do connexes. Wow, okay. So uh, it takes you to 2006 to get to Iraq for your first deployment. Where'd you go? Um, and so my cavalry squadron, uh, their squadron headquarters was in Camp Taji, Iraq. Okay. Familiar. Uh, and so... After, when I was in Kuwait, my squadron commander said, if you get all the connexes to Iraq, we'll get you to a uh, – actually, he said, you're going to be an XO first, which is weird. Usually, you're a platoon leader. So I was an XO knowing nothing, like running around with my hair on fire for a long time, learning what a maintenance report was and all this stuff. And then after about three months of that, I finally got to be a reconnaissance scout platoon leader in Baghdad in 2006. We, learned a, we lived in a burned-out paper factory at the intersection of Route Pluto and Tampa. Uh, Familiar again, right next to North Baghdad gates. Okay, so uh, well, when did you get there? Because I'm just curious. I was there in 06. I was in Baghdad in 06. Uh, oof. Let's see. Do you remember? Uh, I'm just wondering if we probably ever crossed paths. Sure we, we, sure I, we did. I, I mean, I, I drove to Taji two or three times a week from Bayat. All right, so I was there once a week for my day and for showers and hot chow. Um, but I think we uh, we spent a year there. Was like August to August of 06 to 07. Maybe. Okay, so I was already, I was already gone by then. I left in April of 06. So. No, you know what? I was there. I was there because my, um, uh, God bless my squad, my my company commander, troop commander was killed in action April of six. So we, I, I got there way before that. I'm sorry. Um, August was Afghanistan. Um, yeah, so we definitely overlapped. Yeah, I mean it's just um, Taji had a good chow hall. That's what I remember. And, oh and, yeah, and a tank graveyard. <laughs> That's true too. That's all it was. So for those, yeah, of, yeah. I mean, everybody military listening who's been to Taji knows, but for the civilians, Taji uh, from all the tanks that the Iraqi army had during the Gulf War, all the ones that we destroyed, they basically lined up. Russian, like T-74. Yep. They lined them all. Yeah. And you could literally drive down a row for five football, 500 yards, five football lengths of all these blown out tanks. And of course, what did we do when we got there? We graffitied the yeah. hell out of them, <laughs> wrote everything on them. You yeah. know, you suck. Those are days for Instagram. Otherwise, that would have been, yeah, been all over the place. But that was, uh, that's what we did at the tank graveyard. But it was, it was notable because you kind of just remember how much we kicked ass on uh, during the Gulf War, but um, all right. So that first deployment, you know, you get your first taste of combat. Go back to thinking what you were thinking as a sophomore after nine eleven, mm-hmm. and the war was going to pass us by, and everything that you had trained to do. Did, did combat sort of live up to your expectations? Um, yeah, you don't really, you know, you think you know about it because you read about it, you study it, but until you get there, you don't. And I mean, really, oh six. You know, think about it. I did almost nine years active and three years downrange. That that was that was. My crucible was 06, right? Um, you know, it's the height of the insurgency. IEDs are, are now a big deal. They're, they're hurting, killing folks every day. Uh, and, and, you know, you're, you're being – these. you've got guys who've been on a couple deployments, and you show up as a first lieutenant in charge. And so, one, from a leadership standpoint, right, like you get tested. At, you know, we have that Crow machine gun system. The, the crew remote operated. It's a 50 cal out on joysticks. The guy's inside yep. protecting from small arms and IED. But – you know, hey, sir, we see a guy with an AK. Let's, let's engage him and line him up. I'm like, it's reverse slung. He's on his front porch. Like, I mean, like, we're not going to engage him. So, But that was the first. I remember, you know, guys went on both oh, LT scared. Like, um, the first time you got a bow up to your, some of your folks and say, we're not this now. We're going to operate. Uh, later, obviously, they were like, yo, it's ALT, good call. Like, you know, so you're kind of finding your, your feet underneath you as a, uh, as a platoon leader. But, um, you know, as soon as I found my feet, my, my mentor – 
my, my company commander of the cavalry column troops, the troop commander, um, was pretty well known. A year earlier, he had been involved as an operation um, with Delta, and they helped. They caught Saddam Hussein, right? And so, it's a big army, big army uh, guy. It's kind of a big deal. He was a part of a brigade reconnaissance troop at that point, a commander of that, um, a guy named Ian Weichel. Uh, and this guy, you know, I mean, it's a, he's mentoring. We're in combat. He, he takes me under his wing and teaches me about leadership and, and combat and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's, a, it's a special relationship, like, you know, between brother and father, right? Like, he's just my guy. Um, and he ends up uh, uh, coming back from a, a key leader engagement with a sheikh. Uh, he's killed by an EFP uh, in April of 06. Um, died instantly, and that just destroyed the morale of the whole unit. Right? He's the guy. He was almost this mythological level leader that kind of the whole unit orbited around. And he was gone. It's like, well, shit. Now what? Right? And so, um, get a new commander, and he's in a tough spot. Got to fill some big shoes, but he's he's great, frankly, and and he's he's leading from the front. And we're but you know, you, you salute the dog tags and the helmet on the rifle. You get the night off. And the next day, you're back out patrolling, right? No real time to think about stuff. Let me ask you, was, was that as much about if it could happen to him, it could happen to any of us? Or was it more of a leadership void at that point in time? Or maybe a combination of both? Both. Probably, you know, why him? He's our leader. You know, worship's a strong word. But there are some leaders that you admire and respect so much, you break your back because you don't want to let them down. Right. Versus, I, mean, I outrank you, do this or else, like... And he's one of those rare leaders, and we, we, we loved him because he knew he cared about us, right? And, that, and that's, I mean, frankly, one of the greatest leadership lessons I ever learned was from him, that, you know, it's about his soldiers and about our, our growth and our safety, about accomplishing the mission, right? And so and that's a hard balance to strike, right? And so, um, and you can just tell, you can tell when someone cares about you, right? You can't fake that. And so it was why him, and it was, you know, that was right outside our front gate, man. They were targeting him, right? And so... Um, cause he was doing, he was doing a good job, frankly. So, you know, but we're back out patrolling again, right? Every, every night, court on and searches, kill capture missions, you know, I mean, it's high adrenaline, high, high, uh, high adventure times. Um, go, go back to the saluting the dog tags and that whole ceremony. What stands out to you about that ceremony in particular? Um, you come in, you, 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 you go to the clearing barrels, you park the trucks, you maybe grab some chow, you go to the the big room and it's like they've done it so many times it's a science now right right like dog tags there pictures there the you know uh the bios there the chaplain i mean it's 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 like this just, guys like, crying oh yeah i mean he was beloved right is it odd to see or no um no frankly if you're like i'm glad you're expressing human emotion right i mean but the next day it's like yo dude we got this patrol we got a roll get your shit on so like I, I even back then I knew like this is gonna this is gonna build to some shit later right like we don't have time to think about it now I know this is not you know it's, it's we're, folks and we want this shit for a long time after we get back I don't have time to think about it we got to go um, and so we're still patrolling we're doing crazy operations like combined arms we got fast movers dropping a loom we got you know cell phone hits we're kicking I mean it's it's amazing right with a couple one on one soldiers get, get abducted and it's like all hands on deck I've got. This in my AO, we're looking for some of them. So I've got like Delta attached to like ALT, we're with you. Let's go. I'm like, what? I mean, it's insane. Right. Um, and so we're operating that tempo now. Stop. It's exhausting, but it's also you make the best friends and like I'm smoking cigars to relax and listen to Nora Jones. The guys are listening to, you know, whatever and drinking rippets. I mean, it's, it's the great stuff. Um, you know, and then we, uh, we get a call, 
uh, this is the, the other kind of one of the seminal moments of, of 06, that, that one year appointment. We get a call to go find our, an IED maker. It's broad daylight. Uh, usually we do our stuff at night, but it's middle of the day. Uh, and, so, and it's long uh, Satataji. It's just uh, Sunni Beach, this opulent homes where all Saddam's ministers live. Uh, kick open the door, grab the guy. It's him, no question. We got this Russian trained IED maker, throw him in the car, sorry, the car, the Humvees. Rolling back to the detaining operations center, and I forget this. I hey, Sergeant James Ellis. We rolled up Cobras, or sorry, we rolled up Fort Ice. So we go down Cobras, and he's like, "Sir, Cobras is like it's a black route. Let's, we were just on it like five minutes ago. It's super fast. Let's go back down Fort Ice." Like, all right, sir, let's roll. And uh, we start going back down Fort Ice towards the operations center, and uh, uh, huge explosion. Um, truck in front of me. There was ten years, ten yards in front of me. Blown off the road. I mean, this is an 1151 up-armored Humvee. It is not light. Blown off the road. Small arms contact, three directions, complex ambush. I mean, it's 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 intense. Uh, we get it suppressed. My God bless my guys up on the guns, returning fire. Um, but the truck is gone. Right, the one right in front of me. Right, and so uh, and my guys pulling security to secure the scene. But I gone as in not. You don't know where it is, or is it just in such condition that it's. It's all over the place. I mean, some of us in the road. We find out later uh, it was a 500-pound IED buried underneath the road, like tunneled underneath the road, like yep. so you can't see it. So they, so they dug in the dirt in the field next to it, tunneled underneath the road, put a 500-pound bomb. Command under, detonated, do you know? Uh, command detonated. Okay. And so um, and what sticks with me, I'm like, it's secure. Like, this is my patrol. These are fucking my guys, man. And so uh, we got the bags, and I, I, found, I found all the pieces of them, man, like – Body parts of my bros, of my Joes. Um, and Justin Jarrett from Georgia, hilarious kid. The, the kid that when we told him we need a tire, he got one. And the next morning, the brigade sergeant major was pissed that someone stole a tire off his truck, right? Like <laughs> the kid that you got it done, right? The Joe that got it done no matter what you ask. You didn't want to know where, what happened. But um, I uh, I found his leg from his hip down to his boot. His boot was still tied with the duct tape on or the harmonic tape on. And like, I just put it in the bag. I just remember this. It's fucking heavy. This is heavier than I think it should be for a leg, right? I mean, I, I mean, that's the stuff that you remember later. Um, the birds come. There's two more guys that are intact. I mean, one's got an arm off, but it's clean. Think he can make it. So we're loading the birds with the guys, and like I think they think I'm a medic. They're like, "Sir, get on the bird." I'm like, "Because well, I was patching guys up for tourniquets on." So I'm like, I, "Okay, the other sections here are secure. I, I'm, I'm the bird now." Uh, but I'm like, "Wait, why am I in that bird?" But we're already flying to the uh, the cache in Baghdad, so we land. They put the two other guys, the two guys that have a shot uh, on the gators right on the helipad, roll them, drive them straight in the operating room. I mean, it's, it's a world-class medicine, right? Roll them straight to the operating room. So I walk into this, this like, atrium of a hospital, just bloody, sweaty, dirty. I have, like, you know, I'm red on all my weapons, and, like, God bless this ni- nice nurse, but she's like, sir, you can't have loaded weapons in here. I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm crusty as fuck, so I just... Drop the mag and pull the you know charging hammer back in the round hits the floor and I sit down. I don't ever I don't know why I'll never forget this like there was like a little Debbie snack cake wall like right there like literally twenty minutes ago gunfight crazy town IEDs and now like someone's asking me if I want a Twinkie and coffee I'm like like what a juxtaposition right and so the same thing right that night we go back the next day it's the same thing so that now there's four helmets four rifles four sets of dog tags same memorial ceremony right and so. Um, God bless, you know, Walker, Jarrett, Armijo, and, and Ellis. Um, but yeah, but we, same thing. We, yeah, sorry. Go, go, well, no, I just want to go back to 
the decision to go down that road. Yeah. How much do you question it still? All the time. Like, you never go the way you come out, right? Like, uh, but the other route has IDs all over it. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot, right? I mean, that's, I think, what a lot of, I do, the what ifs, the what ifs. What if I was a, a foot this this way? What if I was a foot that way? What if we had left earlier? What if, I mean, like, I mean, I mean, frankly, the reason I do all this work is, is, is that year, right? And there's another, you know, one of my, my best friends I lived, my roommate was killed that year or two later, the last day in Iraq. So, like, I think about all that and I think about you know, what the fuck am I doing with my life that's worthwhile, right? Like, you know, what, what can I do? Because those guys were fucking amazing dudes, right? Like, But you know, I can tell you, I took the same route to Taji every time I went there. Never strayed from it. Same route. Yeah. Fast, hard. You know, lightning quick, you know, and took the same route every time. And uh, sometimes we got into contact, sometimes we didn't. And you know the randomness mm. of combat, that you could do everything right and still have something go horribly wrong. And you can do things totally dicked up and somehow you come out mm. completely clean. And I only bring this up and I only say it to you, you know, and I'm talking now more as a friend necessarily than an interviewer to interviewee, but... Uh, I, I know you struggle with that, but you know as well as I do, um, and that some of this stuff just isn't in our control. I, I, well, I tell that to my guys, right? Like, but at all, end of the day, and I know the answer is like, when you're the leader, whatever happens or fails happens on you, no matter what. Yes, that's that's correct. And so, yeah, like I, I, I've, I think I'm to the point where I forgive myself where you know over uh, you know 13 years later, but. I mean, it's still, it's always going to eat at you, right? No, I mean, and I understand. I, I under, me saying this isn't going to make any of it go away. You're not going to make yeah. it, hey, Mark, all of a sudden, thank you. I never <laughs> thought of that. I know you've thought of this all, but I, I just think for the, you know, for the audience, but in general, just to, to, to reiterate it for the sake of the conversation, um, you know, combat's unforgiving, man. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing about it that, that we can predict. Um, the best laid plans always go awry and, and, uh, yeah, yeah, truth, yeah. you know, <laughs> w- whatever you have trained for, uh, all you can do is rely on your training to get you out of things that you didn't prepare for. And the guys you're with, right. And so guys yeah. and girls. And so like, that's, you know, we can jump around, but I mean, that's, I think a lot of folks, the veterans, myself included, when you leave this, uh, your, your service, having those folks around you that got you no matter what that you, you kind of, that's the hard part of transition, right? Were you, were you always in the second vehicle in convoys? No, so, so, dude, frankly, to your earlier point, sometimes you'd be jacked up and safe. I would do some dumb shit. Like in Afghanistan as a commander, I want to try to be a good partner. I would roll with all Afghans as the only American in their patrol. I did that twice. I did that once, almost died. Yeah, like. With all Iraqis, almost died. Um, that was the closest I came to death. <laughs> but after that, they loved me. I could do no wrong. Also, I put, also forgot a map that yeah. day, but that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> so, I mean, um, everything for the lead truck. Hey, can, hey, can I drive? LT, you can shut, shut the hell But like. You got to share the danger. You got to be. I used to want to be the first one to. Like, this is immaturity. I I think I still admire my own, like, that time of exuberance and leadership. But I want to be the first one in the door, like, out of a platoon sergeant and say, dude, sir, like, no, if you get shot in the face, you're going to fuck everybody up, right? And so that was naivety in in, in being mature in combat. Um, And frankly, years later, this guy, he works at the VA now, and we had, like, we're eating dinner. I said, you were, like, an amazing platoon sergeant. Like, and I had worked a lot of NCOs, you, but you were so good. Like, I, I don't know how to ask him, but how, why? He's like, yeah, you, you know, I was at Delta before I came to your platoon sergeant, right? I was like, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> I was like, and that's weird to go from Delta to the big army. He's like, yeah, um, 
I was like, why would you never tell me that? And this is why I knew, this is why he's a great leader too. If I would have told you I came out of the unit and you were a first lieutenant, anything I would have said, you would have bowed to because you would have been intimidated. I'm like, what kind of leader of a sergeant first class says that to a first lieutenant because they're, they're worried about their lieutenant's mentorship in combat? Right, yeah. Makes and frankly, sense. and I, I, I did both, only a couple times, and both times I was right, right? Um, and so... I don't know. I, I, it's, that's another thing you miss with the military. That, that quality of a leader, right? That 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 invests in other people to the point where like they ask nothing in return. I don't know. Um, but yeah, never say uh, you know. Sometimes second you second vehicle, depending on how many vehicles for command and control. Man, I, I used to. I, I just I ask because I always went first. Never come. I was always in the first vehicle. I wanted to be out in front. I wanted to be in front of everything. Um, I. I, I trusted the crew that I was with. Um, in particular, my gunner was very good about constantly turning around and giving me a, a sit rep because communications always yeah, failed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, it's, it's just where I felt the most comfortable. I felt like I needed to be in the first vehicle. Um, I think for me, depending on what was going on, like, like I'm not, I was a no expert land nav guy, right? And so, like, uh, if we were going someplace complex, hey, you know, lead scout, take the point, and the, and the cavalry lead scouts are usually sure, the, yeah. the, the superstars. But, um, and I think as I got older, I got more comfortable. I would do, I would do conventional, conventionally riskier things. I mean, I don't know how long we got, but I mean, um, there was, we're flash forward in Afghanistan now. Um, but, uh, it was right after provincial elections in Afghanistan. Uh, and I had three outposts as a commander and one of them was co-located with, uh, uh, the, the district governor. And there was just like, Maybe like 70, 80 dudes protesting on the, on the middle of Highway 1 outside because their guy didn't get seated because of corruption and they're protesting. And there's like a couple guys with AKs reverse slung, you know, down there pointing towards the ground. And my first sergeant at the time was like, sir, he's this, this ball of fury, Puerto Rican guy, amazing NCO. But like, sir, you know, we got we to gotta double up guard towers. We, I'm like, everyone's getting so amped and we're like putting like extra cruisers and guard towers. And like, I can just feel in my bones, like, this is getting amped hard and for some reason in my head was that scene from uh rules of engagement with tommy lee jones where they start mowing down protests i'm like oh i don't we don't need that shit man and so but it's just getting amped and amped and the, and the protesters are getting screwed and they see guys coming in it's just like we need something to kind of de-escalate and so i, I there was, earlier i read something where Petraeus was walking through sector with like no kid on and he had super security my dumb ass is like you know what I do the same thing, and so like I, you know, told the squad to get, I told, <laughs> oh, I told the squad to get kitted out, and, I, and they're like, are like, let's go, like, sir, you're not putting on your kit, you know, you don't need a weapon. I'm like, I got you, I got you, heroes, let's go. So like, walk out of the gavel radio on, like, I walk out of the front gate of the cop, and you know, it's maybe sixty yards. We're standing at highway one. I got no kit on, no eye pro. I mean, I started major would have a heart attack, um, but I walked out with no kit on, and the Afghans stopped, and like, they've never seen an American without helmets, weapons, eye pro. And, uh, you know, my chirp was with me and, uh, they're like, I could just tell, I was like, Hey, what's going on guys? And like, where's your Kamenati? What's your stuff? And I was like, you guys going to try to kill me? And they're like, no. I was like, then why do you need my stuff? And then, uh, it kind of de-escalated a notch and I, to my detriment, used to dip this thing called Maswar, which is this green dust chopped with wood ash and lye, which is poison. It cuts away your line. But I gave a guy some Maswar. He started laughing. I'm like, let's go inside and talk about this. Yeah. And this is pure coincidence. But we were getting mail delivery by some like contracted Russian logging helicopter just landed right behind me. So they thought reinforcements were coming in. It was just pure luck. So like we went inside, but um, 
flashing back to the Iraq thing. Yeah, sometimes you're a dumbass and it works out, and sometimes you do things by the book and it doesn't, right? And that's just the chaos and the fog of war, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, just a quick similar story, uh, stupid things I did. We uh, we had to get some paperwork from where we were at uh, at BIAP on the, uh, on the SF compound over to the green zone, and uh, we were, it was time sensitive, I forget why, but it was me, another captain, I was a captain at the time, and a lieutenant, and the three of us hopped in a regular old sedan, <laughs> threw on civilian oh clothes with concealable body armor, right? Yeah. Re- just regular clothes, watches, hats, sunglasses, everything, and drove there by ourselves. Oh my gosh. And, and, oh and my gosh. I, I never forget, as soon as we got stuck in traffic is when I really started to shit my pants. I'm like... <laughs> I started looking around. I go, there's three white faces in the middle of Baghdad yeah. in this non-armored vehicle. And all we got is our, you know, our long guns and pistols and that's it. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, this is probably a story I'm not going to share with mom when I get back. Cause this is one of the stupider oh, things I've yeah. done. And when we got, we were, uh, we got there. I literally, I was like, guys, how the fuck are we going to get home? Like, how are we going to get like, the, I don't want to do that again. Yeah, this yeah. is stupid. <laughs> we probably all got out over our skis on this yeah, one yeah. But anyway. So yeah, you do some dumb things in combat and it ends up working out for you. But you know, you get back from that first deployment. Do you ever get a chance to decompress and kind of take stock in everything that went on? Um, so the very last thing of that, oh, that first 06 deployment, um, my best friend, I, you know, we went to West Point together. We lived together in Texas as roommates. We were supposed to go to South America together. He wanted to climb the Patagonia Mountains, and I was like, dude, I was supposed to sit on a beach in Rio. So we're kind of like arguing about what's over. But um, he was a combat engineer, and uh, he said, I'll, I'll go out one more time with you new guys to show you how to do ride clearance. And that one last time he went out the day before he flew home, uh, he was killed by an IED. Uh, so I came home and like, uh, and frankly, he wanted to be roommate skin. After that year, I was like, I, before he, he was killed, I was like, dude, let's live in the same complex. I need just a room by myself, man. Like, cause I knew, I, I just knew I had shit that You I, were growing up? Yeah, like, like <laughs> I need to, I need space. But, you know, so you're some of my best friends. So I think, you know, I was kind of hurt by that. I still carry that guilt too, is that, um, you know, so we didn't obviously didn't go to South America. I just went to the Bahamas by myself, frankly, and sat out on the beach and drank rum and like stare at the ocean. I mean, it was just like, dude, my commander was killed. Four of my guys were killed. I'm picking up their body parts. My best friend was killed. So, but you get like a couple weeks off for your, you know, your postponement leave. And it's like, well, training up to go back, right? And so I actually, um, I went to the captain's career course as lieutenant. And so did all that. Uh, and then went back to, I actually had an SF selection day, but I had a colonel sent me down. I was like, why do you want to be SF? And he's a great mentor. Like, sure, we'll be badass. I'm going to be awesome. He's like, uh, he says something I won't forget. He's like, well, don't regular soldiers deserve good leadership too? I'm like, don't say that, sir. He's like, we need you back in the unit. We're going back to Iraq. And so like, all right, all right sir. Uh, plus, frankly, to be honest, I didn't know if I was going to make it through this lecture or not, right? Um, deployed again in 08 now, back to Iraq. And uh, supposed to be assistant S3, like a slides guy, like a plants guy. Terrible at it. Hated it. And uh, It doesn't seem like it suits you at all. <laughs> And they're like, you're terrible at slides. Squadron commander comes in. He's like, you have trouble texting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, have hard, I have a hard time keeping up with correspondence, let alone intricate sync matrices. Um, but he said, hey, we, we we got this new mission. We need we need to build out a military advisor team. It's a major job. You're like a brand new captain. Do you want to go live with the Iraqi army and like tra- train them and operate? I was like, uh, yes, sir. And so you know, of course, every troop goes up. There are four or five war soldiers. So it's me, the Apple Dumpling Gang, just rolling through Iraq. But like, love those dudes, and we got we got a good team going. But um, but to that point, look, a much more quiet year, almost enjoyable. My, my brother's first deployment. I got to go see my twin brother up a few times. Um, Did you tell him what had happened in your first deployment when you when you met with him? Not really. I mean, why? I didn't want to talk about it for a long time, man. I mean, people knew my but my buddy was killed. 
Um, but uh, it, for a long time, it was just it was when you talk about it, you just get emotional, right? I mean, and it's taken years uh, of, of time, and frankly. I, I ran my mouth too much about helping out my friend Joe Quinn get headstrong in Atlanta. I said, if you, you get headstrong in Atlanta, I'll go, Joe. And we now we got it, which is free. Uh, Joe Quinn, by the way, shameless plug, almost also part of that. Oh, yeah, that's right. guess. So he's, he's been a guest uh, here as well. And so now it's, it's basically uh, they go into cities, pay psych, um, psychologists and therapists their market rate, and they feel the virtual full of veterans, right? And so no stigma, it's easy. So I was like, damn it, Joe, I'll go. And like, like, even that still helps years later. I kind of white knuckled it for a decade, and, I, and frankly, in the first session, like, yeah, dude, you found your your therapy through service to others and helping other veterans. I'm like, well, well, no shit, guy. But um, so, but while you're in the army, you're deploying so much and back and back, like, and I deployed again, as obviously uh, for a year in Afghanistan, which was a whole other set of uh, awesome stories and, and hard stuff. Um, maybe an H general, which I learned a lot, and then you get out, and not only are you going through transition and losing purpose and meeting and camaraderie, community. You just now, for the first time, are thinking about like all this stuff that you've been kind of just showing to the side for for years, right? How much of that um, gets overwhelming? I think it never got overwhelming. I think I turned it into motivation for 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 the, what I do with my life, right? Um, and so, you know, you think about the guys, right? Um, I didn't know what to do after that first year in 06. And so my commander, um, the guy that replaced Wyckoff was killed. We just looked at each other and we're like, yo, do you want to travel around America and visit the families of your guys that were killed? I was like, I think so. And so this is not an army program. It's just, you know, two dudes buying airplane tickets um, to visit my four families, uh, the guys unofficially. And I tell you what, I mean, good for them, good for me. But the way the, the four different families reacted so differently. I mean, from throwing me a party and telling me they let me, to the awkward silence and tension that like it's my fault their son's dead, right? I mean, and everything in between. Um, but how nervous are you knocking? Who's, who'd you go see first? Uh, first was Ellis, Sergeant okay. Staff Sergeant James Ellis. So, when you're, what are you thinking and feeling walking up to his door? Still numb, um, nervous, and it's it's different because I never met their families, right? Like I got I, I became a tutor in combat. I literally. Was baptism by fire, right? So nervous, scared, emotional, right? Like, but knew I needed to do it for for them and for me because I had a map. Oh, hey, I was there when it happened. What do you want to know? Like, and Ellis died in my arms. Like, you know, I mean, and so I mean, this is this is some hard stuff. Um, and Ellis, man, his wife and his baby girl were there, and like, um, never put your damn heart up. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, because the army they have the C the C and all the national yeah. the guy that notifies was the assistants. And then they have an, uh, the assistance officer who's like there with you to walk through the process. But I'm just some random jabron who was downrange with your husband who was there when he died. And so like um, they also were they all wanted to meet. And I had a map with me, and from you know the first was Ellison. It was she was glad I was there, but she's still dealing with stuff. She's got a girl to raise now. And then uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, Armijo is a, uh, a Mexican immigrant. And dude, his family threw a party for us. Like you guys are, the, are amazing. Thank you. I mean. You're our family forever now, hugging me, kissing me, drinking, giving me beers. It's just like they loved us, right? Um, and then Walker in Creepcore, Illinois, I, I never forget. Like, all I hear is a clock ticking in the back, right? Like just awkward. One glass of water, I have a map of me where I was at. They're just very quiet, right? Didn't ask a lot of questions. Could tell they were kind of, you know, very upset. Obviously, it's just, um, you know, it was his parents, which was which was tough. And then. Um, you know, another 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 family just want to go to the Outback Steakhouse, have dinner, and drink a lot of drinks, right? Like, glad to meet you. So, 
Um, it's all the above. That's a myriad of, of yeah. different reactions. Um, when you finish that whole thing, how much different do you feel than when you started? Um, I think it was it was it was good for me too. It wasn't closure by any means, but um, and I got to meet their families, right? And I look them in the eye and say, "I was there when it happened," and, and I'm sorry, um, and things like that. Uh, and so, but it, it just it also resonated with me how different soldiers are from all walks of life, right? I mean, they join for all different reasons. They come from all different backgrounds, from frankly privileged white backgrounds to poor unprivileged backgrounds, and they're all in the same unit. We're literally in the same truck fighting the same fight. Like that—that's always moving. The army is has has made me love people so much more, right? I mean, I've always loved people, but you know, I had a kid. It's same unit, a kid from Compton and a, and a crew, a kid from Redneck, Texas. I mean, like, and they love each other. I mean, and the army does that: shared hardship, shared danger, common purpose, right? Teamwork. Um, yeah. Did any of the parents? question why you made the decision to go down one road versus the other no did that no. surprise you at all um yeah i mean i, I can tell one, one was tense but no one ever said it's your fault that my kids did. no i wasn't i wasn't yeah, yeah. i wasn't going down that way I, I guess it was just you know with that being a, a decision that still haunts you uh, i wondered if they had posed the question to you what were you thinking and and were you able to justify or at least explain it to them yeah no never 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 really got tactical and, and look it was Know, uh, it happened in October, and I got back. You know, probably six months. So I, time had passed, right? Um, but um, yeah, uh, no one ever, no one ever like tacked. Why did she turn left instead of right, or why did you do it in the middle of the day instead of night? Right? I mean, I guess that's just my tact, my yeah, yeah, nature. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when yeah, something yeah. goes on, you know, even when you hear stories about what goes on in you know everyday life, I'm like, well, why we need to do this? Why? Yeah. Would I, that's just like the way our brain works and being trained to do so, but. Uh, yeah, I was just kind of curious if they had posed any of those tough questions yeah. to you that you had struggled to answer. Mm, none of them. I mean, frankly, and then some of the families like, how are you doing? I'm like, whoa, like, it's not about me. I mean, I was like, what what love these people have, right, to worry about my well-being at well, this point. For, for the record, you know, we've had plenty of guests who have, who have done similar things with you, and that's always what the families say. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. Um, and, but that was shocking to me, right? Like, And it is always shocking because the reason you're there isn't for you. Right. The reason you're there is for them. Um, yes, you may get some catharsis out of it, but I think what you start to realize is in that, and this is an important lesson, families understand the sacrifice because they're part of it, right? They, yes, they, they are. We put on the uniform, but the families bear the burden of the sacrifice that we make for our country. And they understand that. And I think it's important just to recognize, and we know this within the military, how important the military family is, what they give up for us to do what we're able to do. And you talked about, you know, wanting to... to even though it's a tough moment, wanting to be in that tough moment. Um, while the families don't necessarily sympathize or empathize with that tough moment, they understand the cause and the mm. reasons behind what we do. And I think that is where that comes from in a sense of how are you doing? You know, my, my son made this, my daughter made the same choice you did. And, you know, all I know is that uh, even if they're not here, that they're, you're sure. still here and, and you deserve um, to be treated the way we would ask our own child. You know, how are you doing? That's amazing. So, um, Okay, uh, you decide to get out of the military. Why? So I was trying to get out for multiple years. They kept giving me jobs I couldn't say no to. You know, I want to get out after my second deployment. Uh, we're going to give you command of, of Ian Weichel's troop. When the one I was platooning during the commander was killed, I was like, damn it, guys. By the way, this is TS at the time. We're going to Afghanistan. You'll be the first mechanized company commander in Afghanistan. I'm like, I mean, how do you say no to that, right? So I, after I turned down the bonus, I stayed in. Um, I got a command. And then I was going to go 
get out after that. And they're like, we owe every brigade owes one captain to go interview the aide de camps, the new incoming commanding general. I was like, yeah, cool. I'm not doing it. They're like, you're going to interview. I was like, fine. I'm going to tell them I don't want it, but like, don't waste a slot on me, man. Um, and so I'm going into this knowing I'm going to fail. And so and I, what happens? And so, so the morning of the interview, I lived on in Colorado Springs, downtown on Tejo Street above a restaurant. And so I woke, woke up, I was out late the night before, no studying, no notes. I, and I, I could only find a clean, uh, uniform top that was size small. I'm like, what? I don't wear small, like whatever. I don't care. Put it on. It's like a wetsuit top. Get in my car, drive to the division headquarters where I've never been in my life. And there's a long line of captains, you know, fresh haircuts, legal pads full of notes. Some had flown in from other posts. I'm like, you ain't old. Good luck. You and guys really don't even know what you're walking yeah, into. So like, I, I walk in like one eye open, like, uh, and, and the guy was, uh, General Anderson, uh, was on, it was a VTC. He was still at the Pentagon. So he's like on this big screen in this big conference room. You're at the other end of the table. And like, uh, he looks at me and he sees this wetsuit top and he's like, oh, you, uh, you're pretty fit there, Cathcart. You work out? And I'm like, oh, actually, sir, I, uh, I do like to, uh, I enjoy the running of the CrossFit from time to time. And he's like, and he, you know, has all my OER, all my officer evaluation reports are from. He's like, oh, you went to West Point. I did too. You were on the marathon team. I was, oh my gosh, are we bonding? Um, and then, you know. The, I hate marathons. Sorry, yeah, I hate them. I hate yeah. them. I hate them. And then he gets into the questions and he's like, uh, Garrett, what's the biggest problem facing um, Fort Carson today? And I think he's expecting some like four part paragraphs answer. And I say, sir, it's parking. <laughs> parking? And, yeah, and he's like, uh, Garrett, you uh, care to expound on that? I'm like, yeah, you we you built these brand new barracks and, and company operating facilities, and there's two-thirds of parking for the capacity, so privates or specialists show up at 3 o'clock in the morning, sleep in their car, show up on time, park in the grass, or show up late, and they get an Article 15. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why we uh, – who engineers this stuff? He's like, well, actually, actually, that's a really good point. I'm like, yeah, that's why I said it, sir. Um, and then a bunch of more questions and he's like, all right, one more. Do you want the job? I'm like, no, sir. Getting out. He's like, well, appreciate your candor and your time. I'm like, thank you, sir. And then, uh, I'm at a wedding, my buddy's wedding in Las Vegas, like two days later, it's a town nightclub, just getting after it. <laughs> and like, I get a, I get a call from some DC number. I'm like, this is Cathcart. He's like, this is Major General Anderson. You might need to camp at York on Monday. I'm like, sir, I'm in town nightclub. And he's like, cool. Be at work on Monday. You're my aide. I was like, okay, sir. Oh, shit, what did I just do? Um, and I ended up doing it. Found out later his wife picked me because she liked my background. Anyway, I learned more in one year about leadership from that guy than I have in my entire military career combined. So you went to D.C.? No, he came to Car- okay. Carson. Okay, he came to and Carson. So, I, gotcha. so I, I stayed at Carson, was his aide-de-camp. But I learned more about leadership working with that guy for a year. I mean, it was a, it's a it's a hell of a job. You're on the road nonstop. You're a speechwriter. You're a confidant. You're, I mean, you're... In everything, right? And so, um, towards the end of that, and this is another leadership story, is he was he was leaving um, Carson to go be the RC East commander, take over half of Afghanistan. Wow, big deal, right? Yeah, meetings at the White House, the CIA, the DoD. Uh, we had a one Ford deployed brigade uh, had a bad day, um, uh, and frankly, I, we were there. We had flown there that um, flown there um, and saw him right before that, but lost eight guys. Uh, a couple suicide vests. Uh, that's before that is where I met Flo Goldberg. Different story. But um, he said, Garrett, uh, we're going to go to all their funerals. Like, sure, it's eight funerals. And you have to go to the White House. You have to go to the agency. You brief these RC West. He's like, or RC East, rather. He's like, yeah, are you are you in charge of the 4th Engine Division, Cathcart, or am I? I'm like, y- you are, sir. He's like, I'm going to go. And then he pointed his, his shoulder. If they have this patch on, I'll be at their funeral. Uh, I was like, yes, sir. Uh, and so we, we spent the next 
week and a half, two weeks on the road, just going to every single family that was, of his soldiers that were killed. You know, because usually any general goes, whoever lives closest, some some you know guard or reserve general who lives closest goes. Cause every flag guy has to be at every funeral. But he said, I will be at every single one of my soldiers' funerals. And so see, his deputies to the White House, to the agency, to DOD, to get the to get the briefings. I tell you what, you give get on a knee and give a flag to eight different spouses, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm standing there at attention, reading all the notes, right, and like calming down the NCOs who are there. Like he's not here for you guys, and like. Oof, that's when we got close. That's when we told me our priorities. It's like, I don't care who says what. This was what important. We're going, man. And, I, and that's one lesson of a thousand he taught me. But Did that resonate with you because you did the same thing? Uh, I guess I didn't even thought about that. Um, no, it resonated with me because he blew off. Blew off is a strong word. Turned out meetings with POTUS, a bunch of you know, important people for his career, frankly, to go be with the families of his soldiers from across the country. Right and no, no fanfare it wasn't in the news. No one knew about it. I mean, I'm I'm feel bad telling it now, but um, no one can spite you for your, what's important, right? If you stick with your priorities, my guys are my priorities. I'm a two star. This guy's a private. I'm I'm literally going to um, uh, fly to Beaverton, Oregon, until I go to a funeral, uh, and just this for one day, right? I mean, there's a million, and there's yeah, a million stories in that. But yeah, we got we. We were already pretty close, personally, right? We travel enough. You you hang out up like it was. It was an emotional time. So yeah. So then I got out. Well, let me just yeah. before we I just want to stay with this for one second. When you went through all those funerals with him, what were you feeling? Was anything bubbling inside of you? Yeah, all of it, right? I mean, I mean, you didn't know these guys personally, the ones who were killed. No, I mean. no, no. And so, but look, man, you see a, a, a sobbing wife or a crying kid. I mean, it takes it out of you, right? I oh, mean, I'm sure. I can't even imagine. Um, and you see that every other day for two weeks. I mean, you, you know, I, when you're downrange, you go to the memorial. You don't go to the funeral at home, and you don't see all this stuff, right? right yeah. Um, uh, and so I, 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 w- I was quote unquote lucky. I got to go to my best friend's funeral because it happened so late in the deployment. I went on an Advon flight, went to it in Houston, Texas. But besides that, I mean, it's hard to do that stuff. And so is it bubble? Sure, it all bubbles up. Like you think of the, the other families, and you think of man, we've been at war at that point. You know, this was in twenty thirteen or twenty twelve. Like, dude, we're still in the wars. You know, this is yeah. the decade mark. So it's like everything, right? And that, frankly, one of those trips. He's like, Gary, I want you to go be next. You should go be a, a Army Correctional Liaison. You go to D.C. and you go on the Hill and, and talk to the Army, to Congress, which is a great gig, right? And I and I, I mean, and I said, sir, you're friends with other important people. And frankly, I kind of want to disappear off the grid and go be an intel guy because bad intel was what got us in one of these wars, I think. And so that took me down a different pipeline for a while. But, um, yeah. All right, so then you get out. Yeah. <laughs> What are you doing with your life? What did you decide you were doing with your life? So What's was, the plan? I was going, my plan was going to be Jason Bourne uh, slash James Bond. Awesome. Um, How's that working out for you? <laughs> I'm in your basement drinking coffee talking on an iPhone. You tell me, Zeno, huh? Jim, you rest me. That reflects more on me than it does on you. <laughs> um, but that's a long pipeline. You get this. Okay, how much are we talking about? You go down this pipeline, a lot of tryouts, uh, but like it's like a year long clearance, right? So I like, literally they go through all everything you've ever done in your life. And uh, I'm dating a girl at the time, so I'm, and I'm like, yeah, I'm applying for this. I'm going to be a diplomat, huh? um, and she's like, all right, well, I'm going to California, coming out with me. So for about eight months, I'm just like living the dream. I'm like reading books on the beach, cooking elaborate meals every night, right? Like growing a beard, reading books. I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, eventually I was like, I probably need a job, but this thing's taking forever. And so 
I, uh, this is my first kind of like half transition into the civilian world. And I, I, I thought, and I had the other thing cooking where I was going to, you know, go be super Intel guy. But, um, I, I got a hold of some junior headhunting firm and, uh, the first two hung up on me, you're already out, can't help you. And then finally one of these, you know, junior officer military transition firms said, all right, give me your resume. And so they're like, oh, wow, you, you've got some decent experiences. Um, you're a Medtronic guy, a med device guy. I'm like, what the shit does that mean, man? Medical devices. I'm like, I know what it stands for. <laughs> but like, what is it? Oh, you make tons of money. I'm like, I'm in. Um, it's like, all right, your first interview, like no interview prep, like your first interview is in Memphis, Tennessee with this company called Medtronic. So spinal hardware. I'm like, uh, I don't think about science or sales. Like, you'll be fine. Um, and so I'm like, fine. So I go to Banana Republic, buy my, my nice little suit, right? And like, uh, Fly to Memphis. I'm by myself. I'm like Memphis, man. They're famous for blues and barbecue. Let's go. Let's go explore some of that. Explored a little too much till about two in the morning uh, before my big interview. So I wake up and go down the lobby, and there's like all the other people that they flew in to come to get this big fancy job. And they all have these black leather like folders, these portfolios. I'm like, dudes, what's in your? What's with the folders? Oh, these are our resumes. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. We're supposed to bring those? Like, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm like 33. Never had a job in my life. Right, besides the one with the extra tight uniform top, which also didn't have a resume. Uh, they're like smirking, like I'm the old guy because I'm 33. They're like in their mid 20s. I'm like, ah, don't worry about me, junior. Uh, so I just walk out in the hallway. I'm like, hey, excuse me, sir. Uh, if I send you an email, will you print out like 10 copies? And he's like, uh, you didn't bring a resume to Medtronic. I'm like, I get it, dude. <laughs> Hook it up. So, and that first, the first day, the first day of interviews was five one hour interviews across the whole company. Of course, I walk into the first uh, one-on-one, one-hour interview, and it's the freaking guy stopped in the hallway. He's like, oh, hey, Garrett, um, do you have any uh, resumes? I'm like, actually, Wayne, I do. <laughs> and he's like, I give you zero points for preparation. I'll give you 100 for innovation. I was like, and they're literally their tagline of their spine division was the most innovative spine company in the world. I was like, Wayne, you're, you're the most innovative company in the world. What do you want from me, huh? <laughs> and then he started talking about leadership questions. I'm like, I'm just telling war stories of like, you know, switching Afghan farmers from from poppy to saffron. I mean, and they're like, whoa. So I'm just telling, you know, it's all leadership, cultural stuff. End up getting the gig, switching to a different company because they let me live in LA with my girlfriend at the time. And like, then I go from commanding in combat and working for an amazing leader to selling back screws in Beverly Hills, California, right? So like, what a cultural transition of literally, I'm schmoozing my face off with these neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons at fancy din- er, dinners, so they like me. Frankly, they're telling war stories, so they like me. Then I'm standing in operating rooms, and I, like they're asking me what I think about like what side screw goes on a patient's back. I'm like, what? I don't know, dude. I mean, it's it's I'm petrified of this scenario, and and then I start like that's when I the, the really such a start transition from like purpose and community and brotherhood to sales. And like, how much numbers did you hit? And I'm frankly, I'm telling stories to get people to buy my shit. I'm like, I hate this stuff, man. I hate it so so much. Um, I had a great boss. You don't basically pick me because of my military experience. But like, I, I realized very quickly, like, this is, I can't do this. I mean, if you stay long enough, it gets very, very, very lucrative. Uh, I did not make it to that point. I was still getting like junior captain pay. But um, I love the guy. I basically, I, I went in to him and I said I made him I never quit a job before besides the army it's just and I was paperwork so he gave me this huge break because usually it takes a few years to get to that level pharmaceutical sales knee and ankle whatever so I, it was like 2 o'clock on a Tuesday I walk in his office and start making him old fashioned because I brought some bourbon and orange I'm like sir we gotta talk it's not you it's me um, 
purpose, camaraderie. I need to do what I believe in. Like, I, I mean, I didn't know all this. I'm sorry. And he, like, I got like emotional talking about it. Right. He's like, Garrett, I got, I was going to offer you like a, a bonus to stay here. But after that speech, I, I can't like, you got to go do what you believe in, man. Uh, to say he's still a great mentor and boss of mine or mentor of mine rather. And, um, around that same time, the famous Joe Quinn called me and he's like, Hey, that's why I've all met him twice in my life. What, the first was in Afghanistan when I had quasi legally recruited tribes to fight with me, um, just dudes with motorcycles and AKs. And he got flown out by Petraeus. Like, who's this big army commander with tribes and why is it working? We met, but years later he called me and was like, You were thinking about nonprofit? I'm like, No, I'm an idiot. I'm only poor. Um, it's like, dude, go, go volunteer at this thing called be out in LA. And I did it. I was like, Dude, this is what I miss, man. It's like, good people. You know, helping others. Like I never, I never knew the language of camaraderie and purpose and meaning until I experienced it. and We started talking about it. So then, you know, that led me to applying and working and getting a gig at RDB. And that's what, frankly, I moved to Atlanta for. Yeah, and that's a you know for those listening where you and I ended up meeting. And I think, forget how we crossed paths. I don't know. I mean, I was someone I was introduced saying, us. Um, was it Irwin? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I, it was some. I think I, I was on the radio, and I would say, everybody knows I'm still in the military. I was still serving, and then. Uh, we ended up crossing paths going out to lunch. I mean, I mean, we hit it off immediately, obviously, with, uh, um, you know, synergy as far as, you know, wanting to help out vets and, yeah. and, and everything else. But um, so you stay with RWB for a little bit of time um, and then you decide to move on from there. Well, I decided as, as well as the hand, hand reached out and grabbed me. I, um, I love RWB. Did, did a lot of great stuff with it, right? Building purpose can be with folks. But, you know, you get to a point when. When you always want to look for growth opportunities, right? And it's a very small organization, and, and there's really no upward mobility as far as a different role. So, you know, I was I was happy. I got my MBA here in Atlanta, um, but I just, you know, I was thinking there's a lot more folks we, I could help cause out of the southeast. I, I always think about larger scale stuff, and I, I've been involved in other things, right? There are my day job, whether that's this thing called Vetlanta or the Warrior Alliance, or just frankly, I started speaking, and that turned into another rotation, that turned into another rotation. So, I, you know, just speaking and telling. You know, the Atlanta Hawks asked me to give a talk to the the organization about on Veterans Day, the VA. I'm like different organization, so started thinking about other other things. And um, I had mentioned once in passing, I think uh, to some folks, um, you know, I learned for, I learned that half of all veterans aren't connected to any veteran organization, including the VA. I was like, dude, that's like half the people aren't in the room. So how do we? form opinions about what people need. I didn't have a conversation right. about what so, veterans want if half the room... And look, and I'm, and I'm not a smart tech guy or social media guy, but like, I just remember I kept getting ads for like earplug lawsuits or buy this because you're a veteran. I'm like, dude, if, if big corporate America knows I'm a veteran, like why can't we do something with for a nonprofit to, or to, to serve veterans? The answer is, frankly, it's money, right? Because who's going to pay to do all the analytics and reach out and, and all that kind of stuff? With the only ROI, you know, frankly, the ROI is you find veterans, you ask them what they need, and you help them, right? And so I, I was at a dinner and I said that to some folks, you know, different folks in the veteran space. Uh, didn't think anything of it. Uh, and a few months later, I get invited to a dinner. I'm like, Garrett, come to dinner. I'm like, all right. Uh, and they're like, that thing you talked about? Yeah, we're going to do it. You're, you're, we want you to lead it. I'm like, yeah, but I, I'm not a tech guy. I'm not this. Like, I can't get all excuses. They're like, yeah, we don't care. You'll learn that you're going to be in charge of it. We want you to do this. And I was like, it, you know, it's a program of, of America warrior partnership, you know? And so, um, I thought, I was like, you know, this is, you know, it's a startup. I'm kind of, kind of terrified. I'm going to jack it up. Uh, 
but you know something's big when you're scared of it, and you and and, and if it works, the impact is, is momentous, right? And so, and I love new challenges. And I, I've just been moved at, um, you know, asking for help from folks and frankly, not asking for help when people offer help, um, that it comes, it comes, you know, I've heard myself veterans and frankly, um, I've been touched by people reach out to me personally. Hey, Gary, whatever you're doing, let me know if you can help or I can help. I, I, so it's called mission roll call, right? We, we talked at the beginning, but the intent is the idea is if we get enough people involved, right? Whether it's an email or a poll that we send out to you, um, the more it's the, the influence and the power comes in the numbers, right? So we get 500,000, we get a million veterans say, you know, I think this, right? I think we should go see a head doc in our community. I think pick the topic, right? So that's where it's fascinating. It's not my opinion. It's not, I'm not, I'm nonpartisan, nonpolitical, nonprofit. It's like, I'm trying to give a platform in a way where you don't have to go to your congressman's office. You don't have to write a congressman. You don't have to join another organization. And those organizations are great, Right. But most veterans, I think, and this is a pure hypothesis, are out there living their lives, man, right? And they're raising families and doing good things. So the more veterans that engage, I think the more influence we have. And I, I also, want, in my dreams, want to use it to help shape and define the narrative of the American veteran, right? Because I think in some ways, when you raise your hand and say you're a veteran, a lot of folks have a negative connotation to that, right? I, Thank I, you I, for yes. your service, but are you jacked up? You have post-traumatic stress? Oh, my gosh. You're aggressive. Like, that's not true. We know that, Right. And on the other end of it, there's a guilt factor, mm. right? Which it's not every veteran is looking for a handout. Not every veteran. Not at all. Not and every that, veteran is looking for something to be given to them because they served. I, right. I think that's also a big misconception. It absolutely is right. So are, are there? And, and there's a, man or, a great organization that are doing this. But like, hey, I don't know how to translate what a battalion commander is in civilian world. For, and, 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 and on both sides, I'm a former company commander. I charge 150 people and bajillions of dollars worth of stuff. Does that mean I can walk into a senior director role off the street? No. So I got to manage my own expectations as a military leader. But also, man, I got some pretty legit experience, right? I mean, as far as leadership goes, uh, team building, whatever. So, um, you know, for me, it's 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 not ch- it's changing, but also defining the narrative of veterans. A lot of folks don't raise their hand because they're not looking for a handout. I don't need to raise my hand because I don't want, I don't want the, the discount or the free ticket or the or the whatever. And so I'm, I'm, I'm placing a big bet in my professional reputation on the line, but I think it's true is that veterans aren't going to say, why do I do this? It's not because of my widget you give me or the free keychain or ticket. It's because I want to help other folks, right? And so, what, I mean, I'm, I'm a big dreamer. Oh, 2 million veterans? I mean, there's 10 million veterans that can get anything. 2 million are connected. Oh, by the way, hey, policy think tank, uh, 37,000 veterans think this. I mean, I mean, there's – the possibility is – near limitless, right? And so um, right now, one, I'm trying to get the word out, right? That's through social media, through obviously talking to you, but um, it's exciting. It's terrifying. And I think, you know, I'm hopeful it's going to make a, make a big change. Let me ask you about, you say, you know, 50% of the veterans aren't even in the room. There are, I think, 43,000 different veteran yeah. nonprofits. Uh, everything from... Mom's running a 5K or a scholarship fund. Girl's got cookies for the troops, whatever yeah, they are. Yeah. I mean, whatever it is. Um, it, with all those out there, there's a cannibalization effect to all this sure. that I think hurts us. Um, and I've said for years, and I've said it on this podcast several times, if there's a way I could get all those nonprofits and even, like I said, the small ones like that to, to bigger ones, Wounded Warrior Project, sure. whatever it is, IAVA, you know, uh, if you could get all those people under the same umbrella run by one organization, we'd, that, that's... 
or economy least, of or, force, or, right? Unity of effort. Right. Or at least connect them, right? And so, and, and look, in 80, a study came out by uh, Center for New American Security, I think, very recently. Only 83 are a million dollars or more. So out of the 43,000, only 83 have a million dollar budget or more, right? So that means a lot of those are very small local operations. You know, you live in a small town, this is for service dogs or home. I mean, and they're all doing great work. And so I think one of the biggest issues, if, you, if you're a veteran, what's out there for you? You can't just Google what's, what's for veterans in my hometown, right? And so that's the other kind of, if we're thinking big about it, of this endeavor is cataloging and connecting. ADUP has this, has this thing called the network, right? Where they've got national level resources and they're, they're mapping all these. And so theoretically, say, I live in Waterloo, Iowa, and I've got a plumbing issue. I, I you know, it's, I can't fix it. How do I, who, who can help me? And that's all right there, whether it's the Salvation Army, the United Way, you know, a local VFW post that does it. Because it's a lack of knowledge, I think, that is one of the biggest issues, right? So we all shoot up flares to whoever we know. And I've got, frankly, I'm a veterans guy. I'm a, I'm a professional veteran, like it or not now, right? I mean, um, and so when someone has an issue with veterans, they call me, and it could be anywhere in the country. And I, it's not a system to have to know a guy that knows a guy, right? right. I mean, if you got to know a guy that knows a guy, that's not institutional. How do you how do we make it so you can go to a one website, call a number, um, you know? And there's a couple organizations working on that. And, I, and my dream, my hope is that we can connect and streamline it, right? So you you are at a time of 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 need or frankly reverse that. I want to give my time, my resources to an organization. Like it's, it's streamlined, right? It's been vetted. So, um, yeah, there are a lot, uh, but most of them are, 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 are local ish community based. And if you live in that community, how do you, how do you as a veteran know about them? Right. I mean, it's incredibly, incredibly tough. And I think, you know, what you're doing out mission roll call obviously has a grander purpose and, um, this is a big picture thing. It's a long haul. It's not going to happen in, no, in a short amount of time. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And I, I think a lot of the right people are going to have to get involved. And certainly, you know, I say this as a friend, but also of somebody who's seen you work in the veteran community, you're absolutely the right guy for this job and absolutely the guy who belongs at the top of this thing because, uh, you know, people are drawn to you, man. I don't know what it is. I, 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 listen, I, I think you're a little bit below board person. <laughs> But, you know, people, for whatever it is, people are drawn to you and they, they, your, your energy is infectious. And, um, you know, every time you get in a room, it's just uh, we kind of feel everything that you've went through, um, both in combat and post-combat, you know, kind of comes out. And that cause is, is right in front of you. And so um, from that standpoint, obviously, I thank you for everything you're doing uh, for everybody out there. But, you know, in the time that I've gotten to know each other, we've we've had drinks together, yeah. we've had laughs together. We probably had too many drinks together on a couple of occasions. <laughs> um, certainly broke bread together. Yeah. And it's just you know, uh, if there's anybody who deserves a title, professional veteran, it's kind of you because I think that really, I say that tongue in cheek, but I know you. I yeah. know you do. And and, and again, I, I I don't mean to, to to the audience listening who you know again Garrett and I look at each other in the eye and just kind of smiling and winking <laughs> because we have that relationship. But you know, it really is a title that I I, I think you've earned from the standpoint of. You're so tuned in to what needs to happen next and how to get out in front of these things. And you, and you do know the right people. And that's part of it. Um, it, it is part of what makes the veteran community successful is connecting the people who are the right people who can make things happen. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll toot Garrett's horn here for the audience listening. I mean, I'm not just talking about the right people. I'm talking about people with the financial backing, people with the political poll, people in the right positions that actually can, can move mountains and make things happen. I think that's a big part of it. But, um, 
you know, that said, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean this as a brother. I love the pieces, bro. I mean, honestly, since I've known you for the last couple of years, it's, uh, it's been a great relationship. Um, you know, I, I posted once on Instagram that, you know, even though we've never served in combat together, I feel like, you know, we I have. Remember that, that, that means the world to me. I and mean, that to me is that's a, a level of bond. We say, I go to war with that guy. Like what better vouch, what better, uh, you know, term of endearment or camaraderie is than that, right? Because you're only going to go to war with folks that you know, you love, you trust, and things like that. So I appreciate that. No, absolutely, and and uh, I, I do I do mean I mean it's a there are a select bunch of people, um, and particularly in a, a very very veteran rich community like Atlanta where we are. Um, but this, you know, goes countrywide. Find that vet veteran rich community wherever you are, uh, and and. and dive into it and wade into it and just just swim in it for a little bit and you start to realize there are a lot of things out there for you um and mission roll call is one one way to help you get it but i just think that you know the cause in which you've dedicated the rest of your life to uh and i, and I know you carry those you lost with you but uh I, they're damn well proud of you because you, you're doing That's their well, names man. well they um i mean it's a lot to me it's kind of frankly why i do this right but um to make you know their sacrifice worth it, but I was going to say we all we all need suitcase friends. You know what a suitcase friend is? Uh, uh, an old buddy of mine told me, "Hey, Garrett, you're a suitcase friend." I was like, "What does that mean, dude?" He's like, "Anyone in the world you are, bud. Within 24 hours, you need me. I'll be there with a suitcase full of guns and money to make it happen. Whatever we got, whatever we need, man." So I said, "You're a suitcase friend, Mark. And if you're anywhere world, I don't have much money. I have on one or two guns, but uh, I'll, I'll put in my little duffel bag and fly to where you are to make it happen. Bring beer, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Garrett Cathcart, thanks for being part right, of the Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno and produced by Matt Pascarella. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at hazardgroundpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Angie's List is now Angie, your home for everything home. Angie still has the same top pros and reviews you've counted on for more than 20 years. Only now, you'll also get access to all the tools you need to make your home a happy place. Inside, outside, big or small, Angie helps you find the right solution for whatever you need done, all from your phone. It's simple to find upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. You can even search pricing guides to see what others paid for similar jobs and easily compare quotes from top local pros to make sure you're getting a fair price. From lawn care to repairing the AC to the project of your dreams, Angie has your home projects handled from start to finish. Plus, when you book and pay through Angie, they'll cover your project up to the full purchase price plus limited damage protection with their happiness guarantee. Make your home an Angie home. Check out Angie.com today. And for more on the happiness guarantee, go to Angie.com forward slash happiness hyphen guarantee dot htm. Sports have a way of bringing us all together. And at Sleeper, we developed a fantasy platform designed to make leagues more fun and personal. Sleeper includes an integrated chat and every feature you could want for your NFL, NBA, and even eSport leagues. Plus, it's completely free with no ads. See why millions have made Sleeper the fastest-growing fantasy platform. Download Sleeper on the App Store or Google Play today.